There was a story that was told, you could probably relate to this, a husband and wife were having an argument and they were getting frustrated with each other and out of this frustration, the husband just finally spoke and he said to his wife, he said, why did God make you so beautiful and so stupid? And the wife thought for a minute and she said, he made me beautiful so that you would love me. He made me stupid so I would love you. The things we can say when we're frustrated. We can get ourselves in some trouble. And we can speak some things that aren't necessarily very good. If you're up on Facebook this morning, we posted this for you, that there would be, there is an enemy to our faith. There is an enemy to our walk with the Lord that goes unnoticed a lot of times. And it affects us in the areas of which we've been discussing. So we're going to take a look at some of those those things. Two weeks ago, we weren't in this last week, but two weeks ago we saw that David was being prepared to be a helper for King Saul. That there was an anointing on him, there was a warrior anointing on him, and he was going to be coming to help King Saul in some of the battles that he had, but Saul didn't know he was coming. And as he was being prepared, Saul had not made himself ready. And by the time David showed up, it didn't take too long for Saul to begin to think that David was not an asset, but that David was a hindrance, that David was an enemy, and that God has prepared people for us, and if we're not prepared right, instead of seeing them as a help, we'll see them as an enemy. We have to make sure that we don't, don't go in that direction. Too often, we even view people in the church as a threat to our position, instead of someone who's there to help help us and for us to help train. In First Samuel chapter twenty-seven, we're going to pick off, pick up at a place where we had left off before. In verse twenty-seven, this is after the second encounter that David had with Saul, in which he spared Saul's life. And David said in his heart. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of, the, of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time, that, uh, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Gersherites, the Gersites, the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Wherever David attacked the land, he, neither, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned, came to Achish. Then Achish would say, 
Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jerhamites or against the southern area of the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying that David did, or thus David did, and thus was his behavior. All the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines, so Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people, Israel, utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So David, after the second encounter with Saul, is feeling like this is not going to end. Saul's going to pursue me again. And if I keep going this way, he's eventually going to catch up with me and he'll kill me. And so he begins to make an effort out of that to, uh, to avoid this and to go in a different direction. So he decides to go over to the land of the Philistines because Saul is afraid of the Philistines. They're at war with each other. And so he figures if I go there, he's not going to come into the land of the Philistines and pick a fight. So I'll stay there. And once Saul heard that he was there, then he didn't pursue him anymore and that was done. But why does David do this? Now, I feel a lot better about this story if the Lord told David, David, get out of the land of Israel. And the Lord may have done that, but we don't have a record of it. We can't necessarily judge David's motives on why he did what he did because the Bible doesn't give us any information. Be careful about judging people's motives when you don't know the ins and outs. The temptation is always there. But don't do it. If you don't know, if you haven't been made privy to that information, then just drop it. It's not something you have to, to mess with. I don't really have to know whether David went to the Philistines under God's orders or whether he didn't. We're just going to look at the story as it stands. But it seems that David is acting out of frustration. He's frustrated being chased by Saul. Now, if you look at this, David has done nothing but help Saul. He's done nothing but help the people of Israel. He's put his life on the line to kill the enemies of Israel. Done nothing but good. And all that he gets back from Saul is distrust and I'm going to kill you. Threats, all sorts of things. Would that frustrate you? Get you kind of angry. Why should I be having to do all this sort of stuff? Why should this be going on? This is the same King Achish that David had come to in some chapters before, back in, uh, I believe, chapter 21. When he had fled from Saul and Achish found him, and they said, this is the David they sang. David has killed his, or Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And uh, David knew that's not going to sound very good to the king of the Philistines. So he pretended to be a madman. And so Achish wasn't very impressed and he said, get him out of here. And so he left. But um, this is the same, same guy. So I'm not sure how that went. And we're not told how it went. So we'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out you know, what happened there. David, what did he say to you when he saw you the second time? Did he say, are you still the same madman that I saw before? So we, we don't know. But what David does here is that he sets up a, a situation where the king of the Philistines thinks he's raiding the Israelites. And he's actually raiding other people, not Philistines, but people that are in the land that are not supposed to be there. If you think it's cruel and unusual for him to kill everybody just so they don't blab about what he's doing... The children of Israel were supposed to wipe out all these inhabitants a long time ago, and they hadn't done it. So David is really coming in and fulfilling the call of God that was supposed to have been done because these people were idolaters. They were going to lead the people of Israel into idolatry, already had. So he's, um, he's just doing what God had said. So this goes on for a year and four months. 
he keeps going out and makes raids, takes all the money from the, the place, and uh, probably gives some to the king for you know, letting them be in the land. And the, the people there, they're getting richer, they're, so they're happy. Everybody's happy. This ought, to, this ought to just keep on going on. But then a problem came up. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You will surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now I'm, t- I'm not an expert on Hebrew or, or Philistine behavior. But I've read from people who are. And they say what David says to Achish is kind of a very neutral statement. It's not, it's not, um, he's not trying to brag. But the way that a Philistine would hear it, the words were very, uh, uh, very braggish. And so he's kind of saying, hey, you know what I can do. <laughs> You've already seen what I done, have done. You know what I can do. But that's not how David intended it. But the word here, surely... And the word therefore is from the same, same Hebrew word. And it means case be so. So put, it, put that in there instead. Case be so, you know what your servant can do. In case you need me, you know what I can do. And he says, in case I need you, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Something along those, those lines. So then he goes, he goes on here. The, um, verse, uh, verse 3. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramoth in his own city. And Saul had put the Medians and the Spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. Now Shunem, we gave you some scriptures there. Give you the history of it. Uh, where it is, it's in this car. And... It was home to the same home where the widow who built the room for Elisha. That's where she lived. <clears throat> it's also the home for Abishag. So that's where they camped. Israel camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Now he's supposed to go into this battle. He's supposed to go in this battle with men like David. He doesn't have men like David because we know that David he chased off. Maybe some other ones as well. David would have trained up some others like he did with his 600 men and they would have been ready for the battle. So Saul loses David and all the people he would have trained up. Now he trained up 600 people that nobody else wanted. What would have happened if David trained up 600, 1,000, 2,000 of men that people actually wanted? Where would they have been? Where would the army have been? Who would have been shaking in their boots? But Saul was the one who was, who was afraid. And, Saul, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. So he sought after him three different ways, and in none of those ways did the Lord answer him. How many know you're facing a big battle, you've got a big army, you come out and you see how vast this army is, and the Lord's not answering you, that could get you frustrated. That can get you kind of angry. Well, he's made afraid because of the forces that are against him. And so he desperately seeks the counsel of God. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We have to make sure that we keep iniquity out. Well, he had not only iniquity in his heart, he had anger against David. He uh, rose up against the Lord. He did things he wasn't supposed to do. He didn't fulfill God's purpose 
so many different things he had for iniquity. Verse uh, 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now, in case you don't know this, this uh, place, Endor, how many of y'all remember the, the uh, sitcom, whatever it was called, the series, TV series, Bewitched? And the mother was called Endora. That's where they got the name from. They actually got it from this passage from the witch at Endor. They called her Endora. Somebody on there knew the Bible, I guess. So they found this medium. He had put all them out back when he was seeking after God. He got rid of all the mediums, all the spiritists, all those people in the land, put them all out. But, you know, you can make anything illegal. It doesn't mean people are going to stop doing it. So there are still a few that were out there. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Now, it is interesting that people will seek such measures to find out what's going to happen because they're afraid of the future. They're afraid of the direction that they're going. They're afraid of something that's happening. Then maybe God hasn't spoken to them. God hasn't shared the things that are going on. So they're going to go find another way. In this case, especially Christians, Christians who go to um, seances, use Ouija boards, uh, go to palm readers and Things of this, you know, you just say, well, it's just harmless. You know, I don't really put any stock in it. I'm just, no, don't do it. If you need to know something, you need to hear it from God. If God's not telling it to you, then either you don't need to know it or something's wrong on the inside of you. Now, if something's wrong on the inside of you, you got to fix that so that you're ready to go into the battle or into the thing that's, that's coming up. You got to do something. But Saul decides to, like a lot of Christians do, they take a shortcut. Well, it's not working here from God, so I'll go this way. People hear things about what's going to happen. So I'll just have this person call up somebody since God's not answering me. Now, if you wonder why the Philistines all gathered up for war, it's probably because of the death of Samuel. They figured that Samuel has died and maybe Israel is vulnerable because they lost their main prophet. So... Verse 9, Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? So this is something different. She actually became afraid. She's not usually afraid. Most, most people who call up seances are not usually afraid of the things that they see. And people ask, Was this really Samuel? Was this really the guy Where's he supposed to be? He's supposed to be in paradise. Now, people who call up evil spirits, they're either going to call up an evil spirit of someone who has died and is in hell or that has died and is in heaven. But back here in this day, they either died and were in hell or they died and they were in Abraham's bosom or paradise. Now, if someone wants to call up someone who's in hell, they have no choice, folks. They cannot get out. 
People want to say, well, the spirit of this person is around here. No, they are not. The spirit who is familiar with that person is around. But the spirit of that person is not there. They are either in hell or they're in heaven. Either way, they need to get permission to go anywhere else. And some people say, well, this couldn't have been Samuel because he was dead. And that's not just, it's not going to happen. But that's, you cannot make a case for that. I think very strongly this was actually the real Samuel who was called up, especially by the things that he says. Now, the reason for that is, go over into the New Testament, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he went up on a mountain and brought his three disciples with him, called the Mount of Transfiguration. And who appeared? Two dead people. Two people who were no longer on this earth. They were somewhere. They were able to come over and hang out with Jesus for a little while. So if they were able to come out and hang out with Jesus for a little while so that Peter, James, and John saw him, why couldn't Samuel be called up here for, for this particular purpose? So um, I have no problem with this being Samuel, the real Samuel, and that God would have done it. <clears throat> so you ask this, if God wouldn't answer him in the other ways, why does God answer him this way? Take it up with God. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why. But God does answer, it does seem that he comes through here because the, the answer is completely right. It's completely scriptural. It's completely in line with everything that God has done so far. Everything that God has said. And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Well, if Samuel was dead, where would he be? Down in the earth. See, a lot of these folks try and say we can contact spirits that are here. This one wasn't here. This one was down in the earth. And she saw it ascend back up. That's interesting. She hadn't seen that before, apparently. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. Stooped his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul. Now this is interesting. Does Samuel say this to Saul directly? Or does Samuel say it through the medium? If I read it just the way that it's here, it seems that Samuel is here speaking to Saul. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor dreams. He left out one of the ways he consulted the Lord. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I shall do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Well, all the times he has gone to Samuel and asked Samuel what to do, even when he was in rebellion against God. And there are times that Samuel still came up and gave him something to do or what was going to happen. The uh, verse 17, And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. So if he ever wondered before, now he knows for sure. Because David is, is again cited here. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Now, does that mean Saul saved? With me could mean with me in paradise. With me could mean with me in death. With me could mean with me, but on the other side. 
So I don't know. Um, but you certainly can't say that, that Saul is definitely not going to paradise. He may have. I, I don't know. It sure doesn't seem from the way that he's going that he's going in a direction to be, be heading into paradise. But that's what he says. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Now, is that what happened? That's exactly what happened, wasn't it? And a lot of times when people manifest evil spirits like this, they're trying to say something good to get you on their side, to get you to believe so that you'll give them more money or give them more time or give them more something. And this one is not. He's basically saying, why in the words you call me up? If God's forsaken you, God hasn't talked to anyone, why do you think I'm going to do any better for you, for you? You are on your own. God said he rejected you. I told you that he was going to reject you. He rejected you. He's already given the kingdom to someone else. David's going to get it. Now tomorrow, you're going to die. And your sons are going to die. You're all going to come on down here. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day nor all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled. And said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the women urged him, and he heeded their voice. He rose from the ground and sat in the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. She took the flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it, and she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So this was not a good thing for, for Saul. I don't know. Some people, <clears throat> maybe they want to know the future, but they want to know the future if it's good. We don't necessarily want to know the, the future if it's bad. So Saul is afraid because of this great force that's against him. Now he's got these words from, from here that uh, this is not going to go well. But put yourself in Saul's situation. Saul is king over Israel. He is, his role is to protect the nation of Israel. You know, in this day and age, we've kind of lost the role of government. We've lost the role of what leaders are, are supposed to do. We've come up with this thing that leaders are supposed to feed. Leaders are supposed to um, provide phones. Leaders are supposed to build kitchens and pay for cars and pay for education and things like this nature. This is what we think that the government is supposed to do and so forth. That's not what the government is supposed to do. The primary role of the government is to protect the borders and to make a defense of the nation. That's your main role. And we've seen president after president begin to lessen that role. And you can't be, that's the main role. They're trying to do other things. We're taking the, the money and we're putting it into other, other stuff to take care of people who don't want to take care of themselves. But we're not putting the money into, the, into these things. This is Saul's primary role, is to protect the nation. When forces like the Philistines come up against him, his role is to lead the army against them. That's how they came to power. Apparently, that's how he's going out as well. So he goes out there, but he's, he's frustrated right now. I'm supposed to do this. This is my role. This is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not getting it done. I'm not hearing from God as to what I'm supposed to do. So he calls up this medium, 
And the, the words that he hears, this is not good. This is not helping him out any at all. I put this in your outline. What makes a situation frustrating? What gets us to be frustrated? I just uh, kind of just jotted down a few ideas here. But first off, an inability to be removed. Right? An inability to be removed. A response or compliance we don't feel or want. And third, an inner voice telling us things could be better. Now, let's give you some practical explanation on this. One of the easiest places we all can feel frustration is when we are sitting in our cars in a traffic jam that we don't like to be. How many have felt frustration? Now, generally, the reason we feel frustration is because there is some place we're supposed to be and this traffic is keeping us from getting there. Right? We get frustrated if there is not traffic necessarily, but a train comes by. <clears throat> if you live up where I am, out by 309, that is the worst. If you want to get frustrated by a train, travel on 309 on a regular basis. That is just the worst. And it's really bad when not only does one train come one direction, which takes about five minutes for it to complete, because they, they stop the traffic while the train unloads or while the train loads. And then, after it pushes off, another train comes. They keep the lights flashing. They wait. You could be there ten minutes, and the line just gets longer and longer and longer and longer. And sometimes it doesn't clear out completely by the time the next train's coming by. So, I have devised ways to wiggle around it. If I, you just think sometimes it might come. It might come. So if it might come, I have to go some other different way. Because 309 is certainly the fastest way, but not if a train is coming. As if it comes every half hour, it can be a little frustrating. Especially when you go, out, I'm, gonna, I'm really in a hurry. I'm going to try the 309 way. And you, you go that way and see the lights flashing away. Oh, now I'm stuck. Now I can't. And you can get frustrated because you have an inability right now to be removed. You cannot pull yourself out of that situation. You are stuck in traffic. You could probably go somewhere, but your car would have to stay behind, and most of us are not willing to do that. A response or compliance we don't feel or want. We, there's a response or a compliance we don't feel or want. I have to sit here in the car while the traffic is not moving. I don't want to do that. I want to go. I want to move. I want to go in a forward direction, but I can't. I don't want to do this response of sitting here, but I'm forced to do it. Doesn't that create frustration? And then there's an inner voice telling us things could be better. Why are all these people on the road? <laughs> Why didn't I leave sooner? Why didn't I go a different way? Why didn't I check the Google map? All kinds of things. These voice will come up and will tell you all kinds of things that could be better. Here's another situation. You're in your work environment. And your boss comes over to yell at you for something that you didn't do. You feel an inability to be removed from this situation because you need the job. So you stay there and you take a little bit more yelling at than you really feel like you deserve or, or should. Um, there's a response or a compliance we don't feel we want. We're smiling. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that's not what I want to say, right? But that's what I'm saying. And an inner voice telling us that things could be better. You should quit. You should get a different job. 
These are the things that create a, a frustrating situation. You could probably tack some more things in there as well. But if you're up there on Facebook today, I told you I was going to share something with you. This is when I was, I, I, now I feel frustration. I can get frustrated at, at things. Most of our time we get frustrated, we're frustrated at people. When we are frustrated at traffic, we are frustrated at the way the people are driving ahead of us. The people in the cars. I can get frustrated when people do stupid things on the road. Of course, I've never done anything stupid on the road. (laughs) Every time we do something stupid on the road, we know why we did it. And there was a good reason for it. We don't know why they did their their stupid thing on the road. But, you know, I still, there's still some things that that inner voice will come up on me. When I see somebody do something uh, stupid on the road, not make a a right-hand turn, as quickly as they probably should have or, or could have, or sit there and look at the left-hand turn light and not turn, you know, things like that, or, or making a, uh, a left-hand turn from the right-hand lane, things like that. Or this one, I, I see this several times a week, crossing lanes in an intersection. How many times do you see that? Isn't it on the test still that you're not supposed to do that? And it just seems like people wait until they get in the middle of the intersection to cross the road, cross the lane. I don't understand that. When I see people do something like that and you get past them, because, you know, once they do something stupid, it is now our goal to get past you, to put you in our rearview mirror, even if we must go in excess of the speed limit. Right? You all know. (laughs) We must get you behind us. And so as you pass, of course, you always look over. Who is that who is so stupid? Stupid and driving this way. And when you look on over and you see they're on the phone, I get irritated. I get frustrated and irritated. Why? You're not driving, right? Because you're on the phone. Now, I can be on the phone, but my, my truck has Bluetooth. I can put both hands on the wheel. If I do something stupid, because I intended to. <laughs> he came and you know, spoke to me through an angel or any kind of crazy thing like that. It just, uh, uh, just something came up in me. And so I put this in your outline for you to write in. Frustration is merely self-centeredness wearing a mask of submission. Frustration is merely self-centeredness wearing a mask of submission. I'll explain that to you this way. You are submitted to that traffic situation, but you don't want to be. Right? I want to get out of this. If I could, I would take my truck and I'd drive over the other cars. Just flatten them. Just, right? But, now why do we want to do that? Because I'm, I, self-centeredness has taken over on me. And my reason for moving through this traffic is better than anyone else's. No one else has as much of a right to get through this traffic situation as I do because I am in the, the biggest hurry. I have the greatest need to get through this. You all just need to park your cars over on the side of the road and just let me get on through. Right? It's, it's a self-centeredness. We come up with, we're frustrated because these other people are standing in our way from accomplishing what we're supposed to do. Frustration is merely self-centeredness Wearing a mask of submission. Well, it's not just in traffic, not just in jobs. 
It comes out in other situations as well. David saw it here. I mean, Saul is definitely very self-centered. But he's not really masking it very much, is he? He just comes right out and says, David, I'm going to kill you. You're in my way. I'm going to kill you. There are some people that are just self-centered. And they don't mask it. But when we try and put a mask on and we try and cover it up, we try to look like we're really submitted when we're smiling at that boss. But inside we're saying, mm, if I didn't have to have this job. <laughs> we, we wouldn't quite be doing that. One of the things the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, Brother Jolly was reading from us today, love does not seek its own. Right? So if I get into an area of frustration, I am stepping out of the area of love. Now, frustration in that I don't let out all that I'm feeling, all that I want to say. I'm bottling a lot of it up. That's why I get frustrated. You'll hear people, and they'll do this. I mean, you, you see, no one here has done that, but you've seen other people. They do it. You can tell you said something, and it frustrated them. And they go, Well, I'm sorry, did I do something wrong? No, no. Nothing, it's fine. <laughs> what are they doing? They're putting a mask over self-centeredness. Frustrationism, self-centeredness, wearing a mask. You just cover it up. I'm just trying to cover up my self-centeredness by making it look like I'm submitted. Don't do it. You've stepped out of love, but you're trying to carry on the pretense that I'm still walking in love. We get frustrated with our spouses. We get frustrated with our kids. I have learned, though, that we do not get frustrated with our grandkids. <laughs> what is it about that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, don't get frustrated with our grandkids. They're, they're just cool. But there's, we get frustrated at work. We get frustrated with coworkers. We get frustrated with bosses. We get frustrated with brothers and sisters in Christ. We get frustrated with people that are supposed to be helping us, we can get frustrated with a lot of people. And the more I let that frustration keep taking me over, the more I am not walking in love, and the more I'm stepping out of the will of God. We need to walk in love. But this has become an acceptable way for Christians to behave. And don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to be tempted to get frustrated with brothers and sisters in church. Don't do it. The Word of God says, if you see something your brother or sister is doing that is wrong, get frustrated. Keep it inside. Bottle it up. Talk to everybody else about it. What's it say? Go to them. Go to them in private. Talk to them about it. See, when we get frustrated, and we let out that, it means I don't want to talk to you about this but I feel very right in what I'm feeling. That's not biblical. We've stepped outside of the biblical pattern. We've also stepped out of the biblical um, chain of authority. I'm not here to help my brother. I'm not here to help my sister. I'm hurting them. And we can't do that. That's not the way that we're supposed to be walking. So again, frustration is merely self-centeredness wearing a mask of submission. David got frustrated with where he was at. 
and decided to leave. He felt like if I stay here, it's not going to change. It's not going to get better. Felt trapped, so he decided I'm going to release myself from the trap. I'm going to go over to the Philistines. And then there was war. After a year and four months, there was war between Philistia and Judah, Israel. Now he has to. Before he was trying to mask it. Well, I'm raiding Judah, but he's not. Now he has to go in the battle. And so what's he say? Well, he's been telling this king he's been warned against Israel for a year and four months. So he can't say, well, I can't go fight against my brethren. So he's got to come up there and say, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go to battle with you. The next chapter you're going to see the, the rest of the Philistines say, we don't want David with us. We're going to be in battle. He's going to turn against us. We don't want him with us. And so David was sent back. And that's when all the stuff happened with Ziglag and things that went on there. Put this in your outline for you. Frustration is not a sign that we are in the wrong place. A lot of Christians want to read the signs and say that frustration means I am in the wrong place. If I'm feeling frustrated at work, if I'm feeling frustrated with my spouse, if I'm feeling frustrated with my kids, if I'm feeling frustrated with my neighbors, it does not mean that you are in the wrong place. But one that shows us we are not in the right mindset to grow. Frustration is a sign that will show you you are not in the right mindset to grow. If you continually feel frustrated in a situation, you will not grow in that situation. In fact, it will probably be a hindrance for you. I put this there for you. Left unchecked, it will separate us from an authority we were intended to grow under. If we do not do something about that frustration that we feel, it will cause us to be separated from an authority we were intended to grow under. People have left jobs because of frustration and then found out there was no better job. And then their finances were, were worse. And that put more situations in, more frustrating situations in than they had before. Don't let this go on. We've seen Christians that have been separated from God because they got frustrated. They were praying. They learned that God was a healer. So they began to pray to be healed. And it didn't happen. And the same path went on. They became frustrated at God. I feel like I have to submit to God. I feel like I have to say good things. I feel like I've got to show up at church and worship God. But inwardly, I'm angry because why is this situation continuing to go on? Why do I continue to, to go through this particular thing? And after a while, you'll see that some of those people wander off from God and they become separated. And if you go to them and say, hey, how about coming out to church with me? Oh, I tried that before. You see anger. They become separated. You find that with husbands and wives. They got frustrated with each other. And they separated. They went different directions. But we don't check this. This is a tactic the enemy uses. If he can continue to get you frustrated with the people that are around you, he can continue to get you isolated from the good sources that God has put in your life and get you connected to the bad ones. But in order to get you connected to the bad ones, he's got to first disconnect you from the good ones. And what he'll do is use frustration. He'll begin to tell you with that inner voice. should be different. should be different. Here's some examples. He already gave you this one, people with God. Adam and Eve in the garden. Perfect situation. What comes up on the inside of them? 
Things could be different. Things can be di- God's keeping you from something. Judas with Jesus. Why was not this money used or this given uh, sold and the money given to the poor? John Mark with Paul and Barnabas. He's out there on the mission trip. He's supposed to be learning some things under Paul and Barnabas for ministry. And instead he leaves. This isn't what I thought ministry was going to be. Don't let this be unchecked. If you are feeling frustrated with people in your life, more than likely the change has to occur with you. Think of it this way. You've been frustrated with your kids before? Does it work to get new kids? Does, does it work to, to separate yourself from them? No, you know that you, that you have to do something. Who needs to make the change when you're frustrated with the kids? The adults. They're supposed to make the change and do something to, to go on. Now, when you have a husband and wife, they're both supposed to be adults. They may not be acting like it, but they're both supposed to be adults. And someone's got to make a change. No, they need to change. They need to stop this. And all we do is we point fingers. They need to. They should. This has to go on. And until they do that, I'm not changing anything. Yeah, see, that's just... For a while, it was frustration. And it masked the self-centeredness. It masked the unsubmissiveness. But now it came all, all out. Now you're not even having a mask on it. But it started out with frustration. It happened over at work. Every single place you go to work, you're going to find some people who do more than carry their weight. You're going to find some people who barely carry their weight, and you're going to find some people who don't carry their weight at all. They're there at every place. Every place I've ever worked, I've had people that are fantastic to work with, and some people that are, oh, they're on the shift. <laughs> We've got to carry them. You, know, you, you always, you'll have those kind of things going on. You've got to learn how to work with people that are like that because it's your job to help them get better. God's called you for such a purpose. Get in there, help them get better. Help change them. If you're just frustrated with them, you won't help change them. Frustration is a tool the enemy uses and has become so commonplace in the lives of Christians that we don't even guard against it. We don't even think about it. It's just a natural part of our day. But every time I get frustrated at a situation, I'm putting on a mask to cover up some self-centeredness that I have. Because either I don't want to go and address it, I don't want to go and help them, I don't want to take responsibility, and I want to put another mask over top of it. But you have a role. You have a role to help some people. Don't ever shirk that responsibility. In church especially, there are people that you're here to help. Don't just wait for people to help you. There are people that you are to help. Pull them aside. Take them. And, and don't just take them aside and yell at them. You wouldn't receive that either. You're going to receive something from someone you think is, is a help. Someone you think is going to be good. Take them aside. Coach them. Encourage them. And then when the time is right, when you've sowed enough seeds, you can get in there and you can say, hey, you gotta, you got to knock this off a little bit. you got to change this way you're doing this over here. It's going to hinder you. It's going to hold you back. This is not going to help you out. You have an opportunity to do that. You grow by helping other people grow as much as other people come in and help you grow. It's important that you get out there and that you give what you have to be better equipped 
to receive what others want to give you. This week coming up, frustration is probably going to try and knock at your door. And it's probably going to say some things, tell you about how it could be better. Don't listen to frustration. Listen to the Word of God. Go over 1 Corinthians 13, especially 4, 5, and 6. But read it over. And keep going over it. Keep checking it out. Keep, am, I, am I living up to this? Am I st- is, is, is love believing all things? Am I enduring all things? Because if you don't learn the lessons with the people that are in your life now, you can go to a whole other state, whole other job, and you're going to find out those people have been replaced. <laughs> they got different names, different color hair, but uh, they have found you again. Learn how to help them. Learn how to deal with them. I have found it this way. If you make a difference in those people's lives, the devil will stop sending them to you. No, don't send them there. He fixes them. <laughs> I don't want them fixed. <laughs> we want them to stay this way. They hold other people back. <laughs> they, they, you weren't supposed to fix them. They were supposed to break you. Don't let them do it. Frustration is a terrible enemy. It undermines authority and submission to whoever it is that you are frustrated with. Boss, God, people in church, husband, wife, whatever it does, it will undermine those situations. But you can guard against it. First off, just need to sit there and say, what can I do to make this better? Now, one of the things that someone told me a long time ago in the time management course I had decades ago, I've always made sure that I keep that going. Now it's been even easier, you know, with the iPads and the phones and things like that. But they said, in case you ever get stuck, you went to a meeting early and they uh, ended up being late. If you get stuck in traffic, stuck in a traffic jam and your, your car can't go anywhere, instead of just being sitting there and being frustrated, being, getting angry, here's what you ought to do. Bring something with you that you can work on. Bring something with you that you can read. If you can make that time productive, it becomes a lot less frustrating. Seek after God. Find out wisdom from Him. God, I got this situation with this person over at work, and they're frustrating me. So I need to find out how can I be empowered to change this thing? Because right now I don't feel like I can change it. What can I do to help change that? What can I do to move that thing along? What can I do inside of me so I don't keep getting frustrated? What can I do with, with that? Is, and, and make the changes on yourself. You'll find out you'll come out a whole lot better. And you'll be a whole lot more prepared for what's going on ahead. Just stand up with me? Father, we thank you. You are a wonderful God. Wonderful example. You put up with all the things that we do. And we fall so short of the things you've called us to do, the things you've instructed us to do. And yet we want to get frustrated with the people that are in our lives that haven't come up near or short. Father, you want us to be developed. You want us to grow. You want us to help those that are around. We don't want to suppress words. We want to know what words we should speak and what words we should put out. Just completely put out of our head. Not entertain them, not think them, not dwell on them. 
Lord, I thank you that you are here to help us and to grow us. And we will grow. And we will get stronger. And what the devil means to bring us down, to frustrate us, tear us apart, you can turn around for good. Father, I thank you that you do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Today is the first Sunday of the month. It is our day that we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The rushers are going to be coming around with the elements. There's the bread and the juice we use to represent the blood of Jesus Christ. The bread, of course, represents his body. Last time that he was with his disciples, called them into the upper room. And he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And as we go over there every time, it's because we can forget. There is no principle in the word of God, folks, that we cannot forget. Some are more important that we remember. And this is one of the ones he said was important easy for us to step out of faith. It's easy for us to step out of love. It's easy for us to lose hope. you got to stay in the Word. you got to stay with it. But on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was taken, the night that he gave his life as a ransom for us, he started off supper and he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me upon his body was put our sickness our disease so that we would not have to bear it let's remember what it is that Jesus did for us he put it on his body he didn't want us to bear it in ours he gave us authority over sickness and disease mean that no one would be sick or die, because Paul even taught us that some of you are sick, die early, go home early, because you have not discerned the Lord's body correctly. we got to know what this is for. And this body was broken, beaten, not the bones broken, but the body was beaten, so that you could walk free sickness and disease. That's how much you care for. Not just that you would be in heaven, but that your time down here on this earth would be better. As we eat together, let's remember what it is that he did. After supper, he took the cup said this represents the blood of the new covenant the old covenant the blood of bulls and rams and goats all that did was cover up but this one the blood of Jesus washed us clean to drink together let's remember our sin is not just covered our sin is washed away and we are cleansed we wear his righteousness
before we go, move on to our next stage here. We have our covered this dinner today. We have some praise reports. one she said I immediately had favor <clears throat> when I left my phone at the grocery store so they found it and called the house and informed me um, before I was even home and I realized it praise God, praise God. Thank you. Um, this is she said while this may not seem like a, a praise report it truly is one she said my rental car was towed because I forgot to put my parking sticker in the window she said the normal towing fee is $205 but they only charged me 40 <laughs> Praise God. And so that also, for the first time in years, I was driven to church today. Praise God. <laughs> Thanks, Alexis. All right. Chelsea has one. She said, I have never worked so hard in my life as I have these past seven months. Upon doing the math the other day, I work an average of 75 hours a week. The work never seems to end, and it's not always rewarding. And though it would be easy to feel tired and discouraged, says God has paired up. Excuse me, God has poured out an incredible amount of strength and grace over my life. I was laughing this morning thinking about where I would be without his love and mercy, mm-hmm. about how horribly I would be failing and struggling if it weren't for the grace of my God. Mm-hmm. He's faithful, and he has taught me and brought me to a place where I am completely desperate for him, mm-hmm. where I place things completely and totally in his hands because mine are too small and too feeble to do it on my own. And though it wasn't a, pl- a pleasant lesson to learn, I'm grateful he makes all things, all my failures, work together for my good so I can be standing here now. Praise God. Amen. Amen. We serve an awesome God. Nick says, I thank God that I have passed my second exam of the semester. Woo-hoo. Congratulations. <laughs> and that I am also thankful for the continual revelation I've been receiving from the Word. Um, the Word is building up a stronger faith in me. When we know the promises of our God, we find out that there is only one outcome, and that's victory. Victory through our Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> And Daryl has one. He says, in obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit, I was able to provide an answer to a problem when the Lord sent me. Mm. To, oh, to whom the Lord sent me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Any others? Nope. Okay. Cool. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. We did have a prayer request for Bobby. Apparently his uh, blood sugar was, was going off, and he um, was having a hard time this week, so... Kenny uh, called that one in, so let's just uh, continue to pray for him that they get wisdom and what to do with this. God doesn't want him to have to keep battling going up and down. Let's all stand up. Yeah. We have our covered dish here today, and we have uh, teams that are for the setup and takedown, and they will be instructing if they need any help, they'll call on you guys for it. Otherwise, you can just sit on back and let them go to it. We have teams for the kitchen. If you didn't sign up for any of those teams and you wanted to, you can do so. After, uh, on there and we'll get you on the next one but for right now let the teams do what they're doing and uh, we've had people say you know the, we want more organization and people need to know what they're doing so <clears throat> in the kitchen we were having a whole lot of people going in and just kind of doing and too many people in the kitchen it's not that big so we're trying to cut, cut it down a little bit so if you're on the kitchen team you signed up for the kitchen team great if not sit down <laughs> if you're on the setup and uh, takedown committee then uh, you know who you are. We've already had the, the contacts sent out. And if you want to be on any of these teams, right back there, we've been pointing at it for a couple of months now. Uh, just get on, over there, find a team that you want, put your information there. doesn't mean you're on the team. <clears throat> you can just put your name on there. If you want to find that information, we'll get you information. If it sounds like something you want to do, then you know you can certainly be a part of that. We would like to have more people on the teams and helping out with that. Got some things to go over here with you. 
too. Uh, in fact, uh, <clears throat> I didn't get this up on Facebook, but um, uh, Susan had asked an interesting question on this. And so we're actually going to delve into this question a little bit uh, about why guest speakers come and why the expectations are different when guest speakers come as to when the rest of the time comes. You remember that question that you asked? So um, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit here at the, at the, the meeting today. If you're not here at the meeting, it is not recorded. Sorry. It's, uh, it's just uh, here for the meeting. So that's, that's going on. Uh, the podcasts are pretty much all caught up. I do have the uh, end times and the, um, the foundations class. They are up there. I just can't seem to make them visible just yet. So I'm still working on trying to get them to be visible so that you all can see them. But they are there, so you can you can see it. The Wednesday night ones are all all caught up. If you want to get those, I think this last Wednesday wasn't wasn't there, but it'll be up there. It's it's there. It's ready to go up. It's just uh, uh, trying to stagger them and putting them on up there. But we'll probably have it up by tomorrow if you want to get up there and, and check that out. So I hope you can make plans to stay. If you did not make plans to stay, and you can stay, please hang around. We'd love to have you here and be part of what's what's going to be going on here today. So have a great day.